I pray that this time would be useful in your hands to accomplish your purposes. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you have to speak to us, Lord. Uh, I pray that this time would make a difference in this world, Lord, not only in our lives, in our relationships, in our hearts, in our mindsets, Lord, but in the spheres of influence in which you have placed us, Lord, that we would be changed from the inside, that those relationships, those influences that we have would change, and then that this world would change, Lord. I really believe you can do that through this time, Lord. So accomplish that purpose. Accomplish your will. Open our eyes to what that is. We ask you in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Go ahead and grab a Bible and find Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, looks like Chris has handed some out. You need one. That's how we roll here at Riverstone Chapel. So uh, we have white and blue ones that we will hand you. And if you grab that white or blue Bible because you didn't have one, it is on page 530. That's where we're going to be. 530. If you have your own Bible, you get to find your own page. Sorry. It's just how it works. Um, exciting week this week. A little bit of a bummer. We had that huge snowstorm, and so we had to cancel the youth group that it was getting going. So they met once two weeks ago, and then this week they had to take off because of the snow. But uh, if you got a student and they're interested in hanging out with other students, learn about Jesus, that's happening on Tuesday. So hang it. Austin, raise your hand. Austin's the guy to talk to. So here we go. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. That's where we're going to be. It says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, sorry. And they were all filled, verse 4, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them in our own tongues, speaking the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So, that's as far as we're probably going to get this morning. Uh, if you didn't know, we are working our way through the book of Acts. We start a new series uh, kind of towards the new year. Uh, this is our fourth year in existence. No, we had our fourth birthday as a church. So this is our fifth year in existence, which we're pretty excited about. Um, so we started the book of Acts, and it's been really cool to see through the first chapter what God was doing through the disciples and how Jesus was instructing them before he left. And now Jesus is gone. We ended chapter one, and Jesus was... Uh, ascend it back into heaven. And now we start to see kind of the things that you think of when you think of the early church, right? And this is really 
chapter two of the book of Acts is the beginning of the church. The, the, the thing that you think of when you think follower of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gathered together, doing the works of God in the world, representing Christ to the nations, that begins in Acts chapter two. It's kind of like if you've ever seen Star Wars, right? At the beginning, it's got the yellow words that are scrolling off into the distance. Like that's chapter one is like, you know, back in the Death Star. This was, that's what happened. Jesus left. And now we kind of jump into the action. And this is what we see taking place. So if you're like, wait, we kind of jumped into the middle here. Yeah, we did. Right. The yellow words are now done scrolling. We have the apostles uh, or the disciples. Those words are kind of interchangeable. But when they were hanging out with Jesus, they were called disciples. From this point forward, they're going to be called apostles. I know that's confusing, but that's just the way they did it. I'm sorry. So there's 12 of them. They're hanging out in this room, praying together with other believers. There are about 120 people total praying in this room. And this whole thing happens. And it's incredible. And we're going to talk about it this morning. But first, we are given a reminder of the timing. And I think that's important, very significant, considering what we talked about for the last two weeks. Look at verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost is a very specific day. Okay, Penta uh, is from that Greek that represents five. So this is 50 days after the First fruits, which would be the Passover feast. Okay. Now, all of you are like, do we care? Why should we care? Yes, you should care. And actually, I'm going to step back like quite a bit so we can get a running start and understand why Pentecost is a big deal. First and foremost, if you go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, right? God created everything. It was awesome. Mankind messed it up. And the first thing God did is promise a savior. I'm going to send the seed of the woman. He's going to fix this. So all humanity was like, when's the savior coming? When's the savior coming? We want that savior to fix what we broke. Then God picks a man. His name, you know him as Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, I'm going to send that savior of the world through your family, Abraham. You're going to become a nation and you're going to be my people. And eventually you're going to bless the whole world because the savior of the world is going to come through you. So from that point on, the people of God, Abraham's family, later on, they'd be known as the Israelites. And then later on from that, the Jews, all the same group of people, those people, the people of God always had two things going on when you looked at them. One, they were communicating something about God through the way they lived. You would know something about their relationship with God, how God acts, how God takes care of his people. And so when you watch them, you know something about God. And then two, you'd have hope that the savior of the world was coming. That was always intended when you looked at the people of God. And so what God did, because they were his people, because they were representing him, because you were supposed to learn something about God by looking at these people, the family of Abraham, the Israelites, and the Jews, what he did was he built these rhythms and patterns and habits into the lives of his people. And they were all intended to communicate something about God. So we started off at the very beginning with marriage. Why? Because marriage reflects the covenant-keeping nature of God. And then we went a little bit further and we got Sabbath. Actually, probably Sabbath was before marriage. Anyway, whatever. I'm Bible college student. Like, order gets messed up in my head. I don't do math. So anyway, we have Sabbath, right? And it, in Sabbath, we remember the holiness of God and the importance of rest and that God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And then we go on and there's more and more things that God built into the lives of these people in order to reflect something of his nature and character. 
right? And so we have holidays and we have ceremonies. We have just a whole bunch of stuff. I don't have time to go through all of them. But there was three really big ones that he wanted everybody to make sure they paid special attention to. Special remembrances, special patterns, special habits. And they were during the same time each year. And they were called, uh, we would call them like holidays, but they called them feasts. They were big celebrations. And these three really big feasts, uh, on these three specific ones, you were supposed to travel from wherever you were to Jerusalem and actually sacrifice and worship in the temple and celebrate the feast in Jerusalem if you were able and so all the other holidays, it was like, yeah, stay home, worship God where you are. You know, if you lived in Spokane, that's fine. Stay there. But then on these three special days, it was like, no, 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 make the trip to Jerusalem, sacrifice in the temple of God with the other people of God and worship in this way and celebrate in this way. And those three super special feasts were the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Right. Uh, and you may have heard of them in their Jewish names, but we're not going to talk about those today because I already messed up the order of things at the beginning. So who knows how I'm going to pronounce Israeli holidays. So anyway, those are the three big ones. And so what happened was those three feasts were not only symbolic of uh, not symbolic, but really important days in the history of the nation of Israel. But they are also very important days in the cycle of the year. And so, for example, Passover was at the very beginning in the spring. Uh, that's about the time of our Easter holiday, right? Passover was in the spring, and they called it, it coincided with the first fruits. So you have this long winter, and then all of a sudden you look on the trees, and there's like, something's growing. This is great. Like, God's not forsaken us. He didn't forget us. Like, things are going to grow again this spring. And then the Passover was also, as a nation, the time when God brought the people out of slavery in Egypt. OK, so there was both this pattern that happened uh, in the growing cycle and the agricultural part of the thing. And then there was also this national significance. Right. And you go to Pentecost and Pentecost, if you didn't know this because you're not a farmer, which I'm not. So I had to read it on the Internet. But uh, things when you harvest them, you can actually get more than one harvest per year on certain crops, depending on what you're growing and how you're growing it, when you plant and all this stuff, you can actually harvest more than once. So Pentecost was actually this, uh, in the growing season, it was the first harvest, okay? So there were certain crops that 50 days after the Feast of Passover, it was the Feast of Pentecost, there was a first harvest. And then you went to the third one was the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was in the fall, and that was kind of like our our normal harvest fest, like we would do in October or November, right? Not quite like Thanksgiving, but you know, like, hey, we're harvesting everything. We're drinking pumpkin spice, everything. And we're celebrating, you know, the end of the growing season and headed into winter. And then significantly, they also in their holiday season would build little huts in their backyards and remember when God led them as the nation of Israel through the wilderness and, and how they lived in tents. So they'd build a hut in their backyard and live in it for a week and remember how good God was uh, to their nation, bringing them into the promised land. So why do you care? I just spent more time than I expected on these three feasts. And you're like, okay, do I care? Yes, you should care. First and foremost, because Christianity Following Jesus, this thing that we're doing here that originally was called the way, it is rooted in history. It's not, 
it's not disconnected from everything else. Like it wasn't like, like Christianity just started with Jesus. No, it was tied to a relationship with God and the people of God that stretches all the way back through all of humanity to the very beginning. That's significant because any worldview worth believing needs to be applicable for all people in all times. Right? There's, there's, there's some of these like newer worldviews that just started like in the 50s or, you know, like in the 600 after Jesus. They're like, wait, what about the people who lived before that? It's like, no, 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 I got golden plates. We're good. It's like, no, you didn't. Like, what happens for the people before that? Like, you know, our translation, like it just started in like 1930. No, no, no. Like, that's not a good worldview because people that came before that had to interact with God somehow, some way. And that's what we see. The Judeo-Christian worldview stretches all the way back to the beginning. This is not a new thing, right? Jesus, interestingly enough, didn't come on the scene and say, hey, I came to do a new thing. It all starts with me. Everything else before was nonsense. I'll show you the way. No, he actually came to fulfill what was written before. He tied back to the history of all humanity, not separate from the history of all humanity. So what we see then is God has always been interested in connecting with and saving and redeeming mankind. That's what's so significant about this Pentecost being the day that the church began, right? Because it ties it in history to all of humanity. It's not separate from, it's a fulfillment of the thing that God had been doing for thousands of years previous. And it's kind of a, we'll do a little bit of a side note, but Jesus died and resurrected at the Passover feast. The Holy Spirit came and the church was born at the Pentecost feast. And so some people are theorizing, you know, and it's just kind of an educated guess, I suppose, that when Jesus comes back, that it's going to be at the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. Right? So every fall, you should like stop doing all the bad stuff that you do the rest of the year and like make sure you're ready. No, I'm just joking. But like, eh, it's an interesting thought. The second reason you should care about the Feast of Pentecost is because this was God's perfect timing. Remember what the apostles said last week? Right? They were hanging out with Jesus and they said, Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? Can we do it now? Are you ready yet? Like, are we good? Can we be in charge now? Can we overthrow Rome? Like, you got anything going on today? Can we restore the kingdom? Is that too much to ask? Like, just waiting on you, Jesus, anytime, right? They were, they were expecting their timetable. We want it right now. And Jesus was like, no, 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 not yet. He said, if you remember from last week, go, wait. When you get the Holy Spirit, then you'll go. Right? But Jesus told them to wait until the day of Pentecost. They would have no way of knowing this. Maybe they would have if they thought about it. But 10 days earlier when they asked Jesus, hey, can we do this? Remember, Jesus died, rose from the dead uh, at the Passover feast. And then it says he spent 40 days with the apostles. So this was, we're literally in this story. We're only 50 days since Jesus rose from the dead and 10 days since Jesus ascended into heaven. So 10 days ago, he's like, no, no, wait for the promise of the Father. And then he turned around, and he's gone. And so 10 days ago, they thought, why can't we do it right now? And Jesus was like, just wait. Because in 10 days' time, there's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews from every corner of this nation who have gathered together in this city to hear the message that I'm going to empower you by the Holy Spirit to preach. If they would have done it 10 days earlier, 
There wouldn't have been that many people there. There wouldn't have been that many people to hear. God's timing was perfect. And, and we say 10 days. Well, I said just now 10 days that they had to wait. They'd actually been waiting for three years. Right? So sometimes I say, wait for God's perfect timing. And you're like, okay, if it was 10 days, I'd be up for it, Jared. Right? Because you're waiting for a wife or a husband or your kid to stop being a knucklehead or whatever you're waiting for. Right? And you're like, if it was only 10 days, I'd be fine. Maybe you've been waiting years. They've been waiting for years. They'd been waiting for the Messiah since they were literally born. The nation of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. These guys had been left, they had left everything and followed Jesus for three years, probably expecting at any moment he would bring the kingdom, right? Overthrow Rome, restore Israel back to national prominence in the world, right? They were waiting for this for years. Today, no. Today, no. No. Wait. Ah. Like it was probably was killing them. But when the time of God was perfect, it wasn't hard. It wasn't a struggle. It was an empowering of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, all these people are and they're like, wow, this is way better. And I don't know about you, but I have a hard time with this. Not because I don't know the time of God is perfect. I know in my mind the timing of God is perfect, but we still argue about it constantly. Right? Like God shuts the door and I'm like, what are you doing? Why is this not happening faster? And like my Jiminy Cricket is kind of like, you know that his timing's perfect. And I'm like, I know, shut up. I'm still on it today. We, this was a great example this week. Uh, my family finally got to go on a vacation, right? You guys blessed us with um, Pastor Appreciation Month, which was way back in the fall. And so uh, you blessed us with some money. So we took that money and we booked a couple days at Silver Mountain to take my kids to the water park and stuff like that. And so we booked it the first time. And then my wife, like her appendix decided not to work anymore. So she got her appendix out and then she got COVID. So we had to cancel the first time. And the second time, uh, we drove all the way over there and then the windstorm from hell came, right? And knocked over every tree like in the land. And so the power was out. And so they, like we, I walked in the door and the lady's like, all our power's out. And I was like, so? I was like, I already canceled this once. I'm not telling my kids. She's like, we can't let you check in. And I was like, then you go tell my kids, right? But I didn't say that to her, but my kids are all crying. Why can't we just go? I was like, I know. And so like, I'm driving home like, God, you, I know your timing's perfect, but this sucks, right? And just like so, we finally got to do it this week. And it was awesome. Like in a million different ways. Way better than it would have been at any other time of the year. The snow is incredible. We got free ski tickets at this time because of the packages they're doing. The water park was open longer. Friends got to come see it. Like there was so many things that worked out way better. And yet I know next time God shuts the door, I'm still probably going to be like, I got to remind myself of this constantly. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is maybe one day when I'm like 85, I'm gonna be like, it's okay. God's timing is perfect, and I'll probably die. And so like, <laughs> then it'll be like, he'll be like, you learned it, done. But like, this is something. I know I spent a lot of time on this, but it's because we so often forget this. We so often forget because we have our own agenda. We have our own thing that we, it makes so much sense to do it right now, God. Why would you withhold it? Or it's a good desire, God. Why don't, this is the right desire. Why can't you do it right now? It would make so much sense. It would be so great if you did this thing right now. And he's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. There's things that I'm keeping you from that you don't see. There's bad things that you don't understand. 
There's good things that you can't handle right now. There's better things that if you wait 10 days or three years, it's going to improve. Like, don't get impatient. Don't get impatient because when the Holy Spirit decides it's his timing, it's incredible. It's incredible. And look at what happens here. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind, verse 2, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking? Speaking Galileans, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, Arabians. And we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Okay, here's the situation. The disciples are sitting there all together in a room, and there's this crazy roar, wind, earthquake thing shakes the room, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the whole group, and there's this light, fire, visible something over their heads, right? And they start speaking in languages they previously do not understand. And it's awesome. And because this is during one of the feasts, there are thousands of people there to witness it and hear them and go, wait a second, we understand what they're saying to us. This is incredible. And if I'm going to spoiler alert, but if you get down to the end of this chapter, it says that on that day, about 3,000 people were saved and believed and followed Jesus and were brought into the church, right? So as a result of this whole thing happening and them speaking in the other languages, about 3,000 people were added to the gathering of Jesus followers that were not previous following Jesus. Now, I don't want to go too far off on the tangent here. And I know I already did this long history lesson about the feast, but this is something because we're here, we should probably talk about. And it's the word in your Bible that is translated into English tongues. Now, the word in your Bible is actually in the mouth, right? That's the physical, like the tongue. Like, that's the word. It's just like it says in English, like the thing that's in your mouth. That's what it is used for. But there's a couple uses for that word. The first one is super obvious, the thing that's in your mouth, right? The second one is kind of similar, uh, but it's talking about languages, okay? And so when you speak in a different language, uh, some people refer to that, and some people still do this in English, a different tongue. Or, you know, we say in English, like, oh, he speaks in his native tongue, right? That's talking about the language that you would speak out of your mouth. And then there's a third meaning of the word uh, that isn't actually in this passage, but it comes from the idea that some people, when they start to pray to God and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, all of a sudden, even though they're still praying or singing or worshiping or in some way communicating with God, they start to speak in a language they don't know, but different from the previous use of the word tongues where it's a different language like German or Japanese or Cambodian or whatever, now it's a language that doesn't exist, right? They know what they're speaking. They know they're saying something to God. They know they're worshiping and communicating with God, but people around are like, 
That's not a language we've ever heard before. And the Bible talks about that as a heavenly language that God gives in special circumstances by his Holy Spirit to communicate to God with. And so those are the three uses of the word. Now, some of you are like, we don't care. Why do we care? And I get that because maybe you haven't been to church a ton right? And that's fine. If you're here and you haven't been to church son, you're our kind of people. We love you. We're glad you're here. And you're going to find out today all the stupid stuff that church people argue about, right? And I'm sorry about that, but just to educate everybody on this, if you're like, I don't know why this matters, just listen to me and file it away in the back of your brain. And then someday when you're watching TV and some guy speaks in some weird language you've never heard of before, you'll be like, oh yeah, we talked about that before. Now, because they are speaking in different languages, and the word in your Bible is actually used tongue, some people assume that this is the gift of tongues, right? This is the heavenly language that God has given these people. I actually don't believe that, right? And we're feel free to disagree, but uh, when I see the gift of tongues in the Bible, I don't see what is happening in Acts chapter 2. So, Later on in the Bible, it says this. Listen to me really closely. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts he's talking about here are special gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Especially desire that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit to God. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So we have two gifts going on here. All right. One of them called prophecy is speaking to people. One of them called tongues is speaking to God. And this is how he finishes 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. We just talked about it. What happened at the end of this chapter? 3,000 people were added to the church, okay? So if we kind of do some detective Sherlock Holmes stuff here, right? 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that speaking in tongues is speaking to God. Prophesying, which is another spiritual gift, is speaking to people for their building up and encouragement. And then he says, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. The one who speaks in prophecy builds up the church. Now, it seems to me when I go back to Acts chapter 2 that they are speaking and these people from all around the world are like, we can hear what they're saying to us. So it seems like they're speaking to people and it seems like they're building up, not themselves, but they're building up the church because at the end of it, 3,000 people were saved. So I would argue that this is actually the gift of prophecy, okay? Now, you're like, what about the different languages? God can do any sort of miracle he wants to, right? So I think God gave them the gift of prophecy and then they were like, the angels are like, but the people aren't gonna understand them and God's like, and like all of a sudden, everybody understood, right? If at the Tower of Babel, which is an interesting study in parallel, every, all the languages were confused, now at the beginning of the church, all of the languages go back the other way. They converge, right? And God just is like, here's the gift of prophecy, and I'm going to do this extra special miracle where everybody hears it in their own language, 
right? So the Germans and the Swedes and the Africans and everybody is here in their own language and like, whoa, the Louisiana swamp people are like, like, yeah, they get it. Like everybody is hearing the gospel in their own language by the miracle of God. But I believe this is the gift of prophecy. Why does all that matter? Because someday you're going to be watching TV and some guy on TBN or whatever other thing is going to start doing this weird language that nobody's ever heard of, right? And in my own personal opinion, that just doesn't belong in public, okay? Now, I'm not going to be mad. I don't think he's not a Christian. I think he's just not understanding what the Bible says about those gifts. I think the speaking to God part is the gift of tongues, and that's appropriate in that setting. But here at this church, like when you hear people addressing everybody and we're upstage in front and everything like that, you're going to hear us speak in languages that you will understand, right? Mostly English, because I don't know any others, right? <laughs> so uh, maybe somebody else does, but that's what we're going to do, right? And then maybe when you're praying, you'll have some sort of language that the Holy Spirit gives you to speak to God. That's awesome. I'm not against that at all. But here, I just think the public communication this is prophecy. This is for the building up of the church. I hate doing that on a Sunday morning because it's mostly just a church people argument thing. And I get that we have people here who haven't been to church a ton. And you're like, really? People argue about that? And like, yeah, they do argue about it. And actually, I don't really have too big of a problem with the people who are speaking from the stage in a tongue or maybe they're singing a song and in the middle of it, they go off into some weird language, the heavenly language, because they're communicating with God. Good for them. What I do have a problem with and where it gets super sticky is some church people like to say, if you don't speak in the heavenly language, then you don't have the Holy Spirit and therefore you're not really going to heaven. That's not in the Bible. Okay. And that's actually the main reason I went through this whole thing. Okay. This is not biblical. There are people like John the Baptist, for instance, who never did any miracles, any signs, nothing crazy. And Jesus said he was greater than every man who's ever been born of a woman. Right. So if you were born outside of a woman, like then maybe you could be better than John the Baptist. But for the rest of us, like he was the top and he never he never spoke in tongues. He never did any of these crazy things. Right. So there's no evidence that if you don't speak in a heavenly language to God in your prayers, that you're not safe. OK, rant over. Yes. Church people argue about that stuff. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed too. But here we go. We hear what they were saying or how they were saying it. But more important than that, we should pay attention to what they were actually communicating, right? Look at verse 11 with me. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is what was so important that God changed the languages and sent the Holy Spirit and the rushing wind and the tongues of fire thing and the whole deal that people would know the mighty works of God. Let that sink in for a minute. The thing that was so important for God to communicate, he's like, no, no, we got to have a wind. We got to fire and we got to shake the thing. We got to bring all these thousands of people together and they all have to hear it in their own languages. What is it? What's the, what do we have to communicate to them? The mighty works of God. And, and, and you may not have thought about this, but there is a lot of ways to go about the whole following Jesus thing. There's a lot of philosophies, right? And there's a certain group of Jesus following people who kind of complain a lot. That's the nice way to say it, right? 
And, and their following of Jesus is mostly identified uh, by their um, hatred, is probably the right word, or disdain for the things that the people who don't follow Jesus do. Uh, another way to say it would be they're defined by what they're against. Right? We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do those people out there do this. I'm just telling you, you avoiding sin or, or staying away from foolishness or having a correct understanding of morality is not what makes you a Christian. Okay? The mighty works of God is what makes you a Christian. And the church has always been at its strongest when we are defined by what we are for rather than defining ourselves by what we're against. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place to say like, hey, that's wrong, right? But at the beginning of the church, they are proclaiming the mighty works of God. Now, later on, we'll get to it next week when the people are convicted in their heart and the Holy Spirit has worked on them and they turn around and they said, then what should we do? And Peter's like, repent, like that stupid crap you're doing, stop doing it, right? But they're not defined by that. It starts with the mighty works of God. It doesn't start by the things that you don't do. It doesn't, you are not a Christian because you don't do the foolish things that the world does. You, you are a Christian because of the grace of God that God has shown you. You are a Christian because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sin. You are a Christian right now because of the mighty works of God. Don't get that twisted. It's really easy to do, right? Especially when you feel attacked, Right? I was like, well, there's, you know, when my day, when we walked up hill both ways in the snow to school and bread was a nickel, right? We prayed, you know, and we start to do this thing where we're like, oh, it's getting so bad. It is getting so bad. But you're still defined by the mighty works of God. It is getting worse. It's going to get worse. The Bible says it's going to get worse. I promise you. But the goodness of God is still our foundation. Right? Primarily, we should be the people who proclaim the good works of God. Now, some people don't like that. Some people would rather, especially in a church setting, that I get up here and just tell all the bad people how stupid they are. Right? And I've had people come to our church and like, well, yeah, like you, you, you just always say this flowery, positive stuff. Like, have you read the Bible? It's pretty positive. I mean, God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. Seems like a thumbs up for me, right? Like, I get it that there are some things that we need to say are wrong, right? And you get a little queasy when people are like, no, everything's right. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, but the Bible does say that the goodness of God brings us to repentance, right? And so just maybe reflect on that a little bit in your life, right? Because it's a super easy temptation to get off on this thing where we define ourselves by what we're against instead of defining ourselves by what we're for. And finally, Along those lines, you would think that proclaiming the mighty works of God would be a pretty well-received message, right? Hey, good news, God loves you. And it's not a well-received message. In fact, because there's a spiritual battle going on, because this is the work of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that's working in the world, because there's a deceiving spirit, because the, there's a battle for your soul going on, there's always going to be a division. Even though you wouldn't think there would be a division, right? You'd think like, God loves you. Like, everybody would be okay with that. Even if you didn't agree, you'd be like, cool, man, thanks. 
but there's a division. Look, there's a mocking group of people. Verse 13, but others were mocking and said they were, oh, you guys, oh, God loves us. The mighty works of God, <laughs> right? Good for you. Like, it happens all the time. And you'll notice this as you start to pay attention. As you proclaim the mighty works of God, there will be an irrational, outsized anger and overreaction against it. There always will be. And it will make no sense at all. And it'll happen every single time. I remember I was coaching football uh, back in Colorado. And uh, we had an incredible group of coaches. And lots of them were believers. And so we would pray before and after games. We'd go off to the corner. We'd take our hats off. We'd take a knee or we'd put our arms in. We'd pray, right? And one of the parents complained that we were praying off in the corner. Have you ever been around high schoolers for any length of time at a public high school, right? Go to a high school football game and just hang out in the student section. Listen to the things they talk about. Look at the things they're wearing. Like things, we'll watch the things they text each other on their phones. It blows my mind that you could go to a high school football game and watch all that's going on there and be like, you know what, we really need to fix those coaches over there praying for our kids. That's what's wrong with this. No! Like, listen to what these kids are talking about. Like, there's just so many things that are going completely wrong in this situation. And the biggest issue with this parent was like, those coaches over there praying for my kids. I don't like it. Why? Because there's always a division. There's always a spiritual battle going on. There are always going to be people whose spirits are resisting the work of the Lord. And you're going to be like, the mighty works of God. And they'll be like, don't tell me that. And you'll be like, what? What, what? I'm, what happened? It's going to happen to you. I promise. And you're not going to expect it. And it's going to hurt pretty bad. And it's going to be a family member or a friend or a coworker or somebody unexpectedly close to you. And you're going to be thinking you're just living this incredible life that God has given you. You're defining yourself by what you're for. You're doing all the right things. And there's going to be this irrational, fear-based overreaction. And you're going to go, what the heck? And you know you're on the right track. Right? Now, I'm not saying go be a jerk. Right? You're all going to hell unless you accept Jesus as your Savior. And then everybody at the Thanksgiving table hates you. Yeah, yeah, you deserve that. Right? But... There is going to be moments, right, where you just live your life and people come against you and you're like, where did this come from? And you should be fine with this. And I'm praying for your kids for crying out. Like I'm volunteering my time, coaching football. I'm here every day. I'm a good influence. I'm telling your kids, don't do drugs. Don't sleep around. Let me pray for you when you have a hard day. And you guys are like, you people. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, right? And it's the world we live in. It's the world that's been from the very beginning. Here's where I'm going to finish. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that God's timing is perfect. Right? And I don't know what God is waiting for in your life to do the things that he wants to do. But he knows, and that's what's important. So you need to be reminded, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that you are part of something that stretches back to the beginning of time for all of humanity. 
and you're wrestling with, I don't know if this is a real, should I give my life to this thing? Should I be all in? I kind of want to be on the fence. I want to be one foot in, one foot out. Just everybody in all humanity has wrestled with that. Like this isn't a new struggle. For all of time, people have been connecting with and understanding the greatness of our God who desires to love and save us. So know that what you're dealing with today, the battle you're in, the, the understanding of the Holy Spirit and what you're trying to do in response to the goodness of God, it's been happening for all of humanity. And sometimes that's really encouraging to be like, you're not the only one that struggle with that. Some of you need to be ready to face opposition that's coming. I don't know, maybe it's this week, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's five years from now. All of us need to be reminded this morning, especially in all the craziness that we live in, that we are who we are because of the mighty works of God.